I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. Well, it was a tough night in the Final Four if you were a Michigan fan. And we happen to have not only a Michigan fan, but one of Michigan's finest. And somebody who led one of the early resurrections of the of the Michigan program back to the NCAA tournament in 2009. Javon Shepard, we can't be too tough on you. My Virginia Cavaliers lost in the first round. Andy's Syracuse Orange went down in the Sweet 16. Michigan d- does go all the way to the Elite Eight, but they were a number one seed, and they do lose to an 11 seed UCLA who admittedly is on a pretty much a legendary run at this point. I mean, they've already won five games in the tournament heading to the final four. Shep, what, what, how do you put into perspective the Michigan loss to UCLA? Now, just to give the people a little bit of <laughs> scenery oh. for what's going on here. Shep has got a cloaked hoodie. Can't see his face. Oh, my <laughs> he's just, he's just really, I feel for him today. I feel for you, Shep. You know, oh. my, my boys didn't get it done either. So we're all in the same boat, man. I'm going through it, man. I'm really going through it. I really <laughs> thought, I thought the boys were going to be able to pull it out because just by the way the game was going, it was, you know, it really had no pace, it had no rhythm. Uh, and I thought, defensively, Michigan bigs were doing a good job of just being engaged um, and being active and disruptive. So I thought over the course of the game, like this would actually pan out and, and you know, things would start to roll their way. Um, then you, you, you definitely have to tip your hat to UCLA because everything they've gone through this year, right? Like they have, they've dealt with injuries, injuries to their star player. Um, and, but they've, they've just seemed to to dig it out. And I think there was even question with, with the head coach Cronin and how he was going to adapt to, you know, being a Midwest guy um, out on, you know, the West coast and how would he be able to recruit? So you definitely have to tip your hat to them. And then where they are now, am I, am I happy? No, I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. I just see, I wanted, I wanted, you know what? I wanted this story even more so for Juwan Howard. Um, yeah. Being able, you know, a player, uh, being in national championship game and, and then the coach and just coming back and really being a part of resurrecting that program or continuing the resurrection of that program. So, but this is, this is what it's the matter is about, right? Well, Shep, you, you mentioned injuries uh, to UCLA and I don't think it was an issue in the first rounds for Michigan, but I thought they, they really could have used Isaiah livers in that game last night. No. Yeah, I mean, like, 
you, you lose one of your better players. Um, and, and again, I think a big part of it yesterday, I think, what it was, 49 points they scored. They couldn't get a bucket. They couldn't. Yeah, they only have one guy in double figures, man. That's a tough night. Yeah, that's so it. it's, I think that's where you lose, uh, where where you miss Rivers. Um, but again, I think this is, you know, I'm t- taking the, my bias aside. This is, this comes with the territory. Um, one, when you're dealing with professional sports, injuries are, are inevitable. And two, obviously dealing with the year that we've dealt with, right? Like anything can happen. And I think we've seen that in this tourney just being, you know, and we say it every year, one of the craziest NCAA tourneys yeah, to date. But um, could he have helped? But I, I, th- I still think this is a really young team and that they can continue to build on. And I'm excited for um, what they're going to be doing going forward. I know they have the, a Canadian coming in, a, a young boy of mine, Caleb Houston, who's a McDonald's All-American. So I just think they're just going to continue to build um, – on what they're doing now, and then definitely looking forward to see what's going to happen next. And they had a couple clean looks at it too late. They had a yes. couple really good looks, so it's like you know the ball just wasn't falling for them that night. So that that three point that three point shot, um, I forget his name right now, the guard what was it Smith. Smith took it at the end, eh? yeah. Yeah, I would have put pressure. I would have been putting more pressure on the basket just to tie it up. But at uh. the same time, if he made that shot, he's a hero, and that's yeah. what March Madness is about. So right. Um, you know, and that's that's big balls, high risk, high reward, right? You close out the game with that, you know, three point shot, but it's it's tough. It's tough, man. Yeah. Well, I I, I was struck by how many shots that you, they were missing. I mean, I'm not saying they were gimmies, but they were close range, you know, two footers, uh, and these were shots that you know, especially Dickinson had been making throughout the tournament, and they just what was it UCLA's defense or? Or did Michigan just kind of lose that, uh, lose their touch around the rim? I think they just lost their touch around the rim, and they, just, they were just gassed. Um, and you know, Dickinson's a big part of that. He only finished with eleven points, but he's a guy that usually dominates the boards as well as, as you know, pretty much a double double guy. And he, to me, had a relatively quiet night. So, and the fact that that offense is centered around him, and he's you know. The, prototypical or the traditional big man, um, I thought that was also going to be a reason why they would have had and had the edge is because, you know, in today's game, that's that's kind of unorthodox to just have a big man that's down. Absolutely. Right. So it was almost jarring to see it. It's so rare now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, I, yeah. Look, it, it was a fabulous run. <laughs> yeah. go, going into the tournament, I thought Illinois was the better team out of the Big Ten. Um, we saw really Michigan was the only team in the in the entire conference that that stood up and and represented. I thought the rest of the conference was a was a huge disappointment. Um, but M- Michigan making that run, getting to the Elite Eight, um, you know, a, a solid run. Jawan Howard is more accustomed to the Final Four. You know, they they showed a bit of uh, uh, footage from. 1993, I believe it was, when Michigan played UCLA in a tournament game. And, wow, I didn't really remember that that game. But it was, you know, it was just great to see Howard coaching that team and being on the the precipice of getting back to a, a Final Four. You had Jalen Rose there. It, yeah. lo- it looked awesome. And you got to feel like under Coach Howard that Michigan's future for these next two, five, ten years looks incredibly promising. And look, it's great to see Michigan back. You know what's crazy to me is that when you look at, I took some time to just look at how many teams have won a national tourney. 
uh, national championship. There, to get to this point, it has to hurt, as especially as a coach, because it, you don't come by them much. Like AR, I was actually surprised. Syracuse only has one national championship. Michigan one. only has one national championship. Yeah, yeah. Like and and those schools. But these are teams with, that you see in the tournament year in and year yeah. out at the top of the conferences in the regular season. Yeah, it's tough, man. And they're historic clubs. And when you really look at it, it's like, wait, whoa, you only have one national championship. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But then you 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 know, a team like UCLA, um, I can't remember what, what number they're at now, but that sets them. I think apart. they have eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like insane. That. Yeah. But it's nine different. in a row. It's amazing to think of those those UCLA teams. I mean, they used to go undefeated, win the tournament every year, but they had Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah. Luke Walton. I mean, they're they're t- you know in in that era, there there was nobody else, and you know which is why a team like Gonzaga, for their what you really have to look at is their long range success right now. It's been it's been twenty years, and they're uh, they are competitive in a Final Four threat. I don't think there's anyone who follows basketball who's surprised now that. Gonzaga is in the final four. Andy, they handled USC easily. Um, what are you seeing in this team, and can anybody beat them? Look, I mean, the, the Zags are who they thought we were. Uh, uh, we, we thought they were. You know, they're, they're thirty and zero, and it's their second trip to the final four, which is really impressive for a team who was, you know, not even on the radar fifteen years ago. Um, you know, they led by double figures the entire way against USC, and, and this is a team that was beating everybody they played by 20 points to that point. Um, I think early on they really stifled them in, in transition and, and uh, taking advantage of turnovers. Um, and Drew Tim, I mean, this guy's he's he's turned himself into a top five pick in this tournament. I mean, he's at 23-5, 3 just stuff in the stat sheet. And, and you got to love the handlebar mustache. I mean – yeah, I know bad hairstyles when I see them, like because I invented it. But <laughs> this guy really pulls it off, man. Only goats, you know, can rock great stashes, and I think he's right up there with uh, a former fellow Zag and, and Adam Morrison. Um, but you know, Jalen Suggs was out there doing his thing too, and he had eighteen, ten, and, and and two assists shy of a triple double. I mean, they're they're showing you their depth. They're showing you that they have you know guys who are NBA caliber players, and 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 they're ready right now. Um, and USC was, you know, they were down a bit. The Mobley brothers have been carrying their, the bulk of the work for USC throughout the year. They had 36 combined on 12 for 22, which is solid, but they just didn't get any help. You know, the rest of the team was 11 for 39. And you're just not going to – it's a similar night to Michigan. You know, if you just don't make shots, it, it's tough to compete. Um, you know, Gonzaga played well, but, you know, it, it was just a really off night for the Trojans, and they didn't have the manpower to, to, to stave off the Zags. But um, – you know, and we saw, uh, you know, Burt Smith, the referee, collapse in that game. It was really scary. Um, you know, yeah. we're wishing him well. Uh, it, it was, you know, incredible to see somebody just unconscious in the middle of a game. You know, I, obviously these things happen. You know, who knows if it was COVID-related or not, but really scary. And, uh, you know, prayers up to him for sure. Absolutely. It, it was shocking to just yeah. see the, the referee just go down. And he, he looked yeah. to be in some serious trauma just the way he was he was lying there on the ground and yeah. it, great to, great to see reports that he's fine and not to make light of it but he was kind of representative i thought of of what happened to USC in that game i mean right, it I was guess. seven nothing before you even knew who the starting lineups were and and yeah. i thought it was 
uh, the aggressive defense of Gonzaga. They came out in that, I, I don't know if it was a full court press, but maybe a three quarter yeah. press. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. And, and I mean, Timmy was just swiping the ball away from everybody. And every time you look, looked up, Gonzaga had another layup. And I thought USC, I thought they were out of the, I thought that game was lost at seven, nothing. I, I really mm-hmm. did. And well, they didn't look back. They led by double digits the entire, right. the rest of the way. Yeah. And, and Gonzaga has been that that's been their whole tournament and their whole season. And really the only competitive game I know that they've had in the past six weeks was the uh, conference championship game against BYU. And you, you go look at that. They still won by eight or 10 or 12 points. Um, I think we actually take for granted how good this Gonzaga team is. And it's, it's, Oh yeah. It's funny because they don't have, or they don't appear to have this, this amazingly um, athletic team that would be intimidating teams or whatever the case may be. But, you know, they just seem to be clicking and everybody is, everybody's in sync. Let's say that, Um, you know, defensively, I don't, I actually don't think individually they're a great uh, defensive team. But together, they everybody moves in a tandem, and it just seems like uh, everybody's always in the right in the right spots and t- and covering for each other's back. So even on rotations, um, you know, on skip passes, on on penetrations, you'll see two or three guys shrink the floor, um, a big step up to you know block penetration. Somebody crap back and help him. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's crazy to see because you would think that this is a team of like. 60-year, 50-year guys, and everybody's right. just been playing together, which is a yeah. testament um, to Coach Few and just, you know, the fact yeah. that he really has these guys you know, playing together. And more importantly, they're enjoying playing with each other. I think oh, yeah. when I look at um, Jalen Suggs' interviews and how he speaks of his team and just how happy he is to be playing basketball and playing with this group, I think mm-hmm. that that's just as impressive to me as what he's doing on the court because there's no egos, there's no... And this guy... Yeah. Like you're a top five pick, you know, uh-huh. and you have the number one team in the nation writing history and cruising into history, and he's so humble and just yeah. so highly of his team, and just which is cliche because you know you're probably you know you're supposed to say the right things in the media, but he looks like it's coming out uh, naturally, and that this is what he has oh, to yeah. do about his club. I mean, you, it, it's a it's a huge testament to the culture that they built at Gonzaga. You know, I mean, they they have NBA caliber players, they have easily the best transfer rate, you know, for, for, uh, for guys who are trying to leave schools and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're recruiting high, uh, McDonald's all Americans, you know, NBA elite talent level and, uh, and, and to do it, you know, in a setting where, where it's a team setting, you know, and, and, you know, guys like, uh, programs like Kentucky and, uh, North Carolina, you know, they're, they're in a big Valley right now. And it seems as though Gonzaga just doesn't have those, you know, it mm-hmm. seems like, consistently year after year they're at the top of their conference obviously it's 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 a much weaker conference than in the acc or, or or big 10 or big 12 but at the end of the day they're getting it done in the tournament you know that they're they're always going to the sweet 16 you know it's their second final four appearance and, and like you said mark view has got that program on lock you know you know all the way down from from the play calls to micromanaging uh you know his, his players personalities and and, and just you know, buying into the culture of, of being a winning team. And then everybody eats and has success off of that. So uh, the Zags team's headed in the right direction. And to deal with that that pressure of being, you know, 30-0 and 0, uh, and staying consistent and winning by that much, that just goes to show you that they're not even thinking about their record. They're just out there having fun playing basketball. You know, if they were if they were tight, you could tell. You know, those games would be close down to the wire, but they're out there just balling and having fun. So it's a good time to be a Zag. 
and you have to give Mark Few his flowers too because he's had ample opportunity to leave this team. Oh um, yeah, season to season and go to some yeah. bigger, bigger conferences, bigger, bigger schools, but he stuck with it, right? So he, you definitely feel he's deserving. Uh, for me, now that Michigan's out, I, I want to see him get it done. Like I want to see them write history. I know you're supposed to, you know, mm-hmm. bet on the underdog, but mm-hmm. for what he's done, for what he's dedicated there, and just you know, for what these these kids are doing, man. Like I want to see, you know, that last that last chapter um, be a part of history. Mm-hmm. I, I I love what you guys are saying, and, and I agree completely. And you look at you look at that squad. There's probably there's potentially five NBA players good to go for next year. I mean, I I love Jalen Suggs. I think he is a fabulous player and I would draft him number one. Um, I think Kispert's going to be in the lottery. Andy, you're probably right. Timmy's probably moved himself up into the lottery. Um, Ayayi is great. And a lot of people think Nemhart could be an NBA player. I, I could see him as possibly a second round pick and, and maybe sticking with someone as well. This, this is a, team that's focused they're 30 and 0 but it doesn't seem to be a big strain on them the, the pressure of of you know what's ahead in terms of history but speaking of history you know Shep, the one thing that you have said about Gonzaga and, and I've I've listened to and I wonder if you still feel it could be a thing getting into the final four because they haven't won the championship they haven't done that last bit that you need to do to install yourself into that book of champions. Do you, do you still think history can be a factor working against Gonzaga? Because if, if not that, I don't see any other weakness. I hope not. I hope not just for, you know, that would be my only reservation. It would be history could be the only thing right now that could repeat itself. But if you're looking at the team for team's sake, um, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. Uh, I think again, if anybody's thinking about it, it's it's Mark Few because he's been through it um, time and time again. Uh, came close, uh, fell short. But as far as these guys, their confidence is sky high right now. Their confidence is sky high, and they're just, they're rolling. Um, you know, so I, I can't see that, and I can't see that happening there. I mean, you know, experience certainly didn't help Butler. You know, after they they reached the national championship game against Duke, and then doing it the next year against UConn. So I, I think that. Maybe it's it's a it's a good thing that they just kind of go in and they ride the wave of this experience. You know, they go into the national championship game, you know, just having fun and being like, what's this going to be like? And, you know, just as much as little pressure as possible to go into that game. And and, and obviously you have to get, uh, uh, you know, this final four matchup. But at the end of the day, I think that they have enough of what it takes to get there in, in Coach View and, and, and the roster that they've built. So I think they'll be fine. So Andy, what uh, what's your final four pick at this point? Now we're down to it. Who do you got? Yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say, it's the Zags. Like you know, here, here's a couple of facts that I think that you guys are gonna appreciate. So they had an aggregate margin of victory of 96. That's greater than the 21st century's most dominant national championship, North Carolina. Statistically better than 01 Duke, 16 Duke, or 18 Villanova. So like, this is a team that's not fucking around. You know, they mean business. And these are some of the top programs with with easily the highest recruiting tools, you know, in the entire country for all the NCA. They're on their way to the second, being the second team in NCA history to go undefeated after Indiana in 1976. I mean, history's on their side right now. And I think that there's no stopping them. And, and as we talked about time and again, momentum in the tournament, 
you know, just riding the wave of your last win means a lot. And, uh, you know, the teams in front of them, they have to, they have to worry about, you know, do we have enough? You know, they, they, they can start to second guess themselves, especially playing against the big one seed. So I think that if they just go in without expectation and pressure. I think they got it as a lock. What he said. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, who you got? I'm riding with them, man. And I think there's also, you know, I have a soft spot for Nemhard. Um, yeah. We spent some time working out in the summers together. And then I also know, you know, what he went through a couple of years ago when, you know, that, um, I can't remember the name of the condition he had, where he, doctors basically told him he wouldn't be playing basketball again. Like he may not be playing basketball. He, you know, mm-hmm. his life was actually threatened. So, to see him bounce back like that from from that, to see how frail he was in his recovery, and to see how he's, you know, revamped his body and playing at this level, I, I want to see his team write history. But I want to see him, um, just, you know, show kids, show people that are going through adversity that hey, like, it's mind over matter. And he, mm-hmm. like, when the doctors told him he wasn't going to play play basketball again, he may maybe you know his life is threatened. He told them like, just get me a basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the nurses got him a basketball in the in the hospital, and he that's where his recovery started. So just just off of that alone, I just want to see see them win. In addition to all the numbers, there you go. Well, in a tournament that was so unpredictable, especially in that the first round, uh, we had some historic upsets, some crazy teams getting to the second to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, I think that everything works out the way it was predicted even before the season started. And that is Gonzaga and Baylor are the two best teams. It's playing out. Um, and I have Gonzaga beating Baylor in the championship game. It, it, it's funny how with all the um, everything being up in the air, just the way the season went, the way the tournament started out, we have been told from the beginning that Gonzaga and Baylor were the two teams to beat. And, you know, yeah, that's the course now for a little, for a little while there, I was really hoping, and I almost was expecting that Michigan Syracuse, you know, maybe you guys can play that out on a video game sometime somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, now, that bad boy. Th- th- there was, there was one thing guys, and this, th- I'll admit that was the first time I have done this. I was watching the Oregon state Houston, uh, sorry. Yeah. Oregon state against Houston. And I was, I was into that Oregon state, um, underdog story. I did watch the Pac-12 championship, which I saw them win. Um, so I wasn't actually that surprised to see them playing well in the tournament. The surprise to me was that they were picked to finish last in their in their conference. Yeah. But I, I I wasn't terribly enthused by the Houston-Oregon State game. And I knew in the women's tournament, UConn was playing Baylor. And I turned that game on and I found it. Um, far more entertaining, at least than the, than the Houston Oregon State game. But I, I don't know how much you guys have watched, but I, I thought we should spend a, a moment or two, maybe talking about did Baylor get ripped off on the no call at the end of that game, but also absolutely hey, not because that's my my home girl Aaliyah Edwards and she got the job done. Oh I'm man, right in now, Aaliyah. Wow, <laughs> okay, this is that's a personal affiliation. You got to take that out of it. You have to. Looked like a foul to me at least at least twice. Also, and, and maybe more importantly, um, is the play of Paige Beckers, who looked like the next. I mean, she is the next generation in in women's basketball, and I think we're all looking at 
these next 10 years for women's basketball to massively rise in profile. And I think she could be the one to, to take it to that level. And I, I don't know, maybe you guys can assess what, what her game is like and what her future is like playing WNBA and also international ball. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I had always been told years ago that women's basketball is fundamentally more sound than mm-hmm. than men's basketball. And mm-hmm. now, when you start, you really start to pay attention to it, and you're looking at somebody like Paige Beckers. That that sentiment is is more than true. Um, you know, just the ability to understand the game, the skill set. Um, and just how she how she approaches it. Uh, it, it says a lot about the talent level and where uh, where women's basketball is. And I think you know that team there. And then just obviously there's a there's a connection there. I've seen Aaliyah who was at uh, Crestwood Prep here in in Toronto uh, just last year. And you know these ladies are dedicated to the game. They're crafty. Um, so it, it's impressive to see. I, I don't want to say the growth. Because I think we just haven't been privy to it. We haven't paid enough attention previously. But now, um, you know, not being ignorant to it anymore. This is, you know, it's high-level basketball. A talented pool of players. Talented pool of women, rather. Um, and it's exciting basketball to watch, man. Yeah, I mean, she's she's reminiscent of, of Sabrina Ionescu. Uh, I mean, she, she she's a hooper. You know, she had 28 points. Uh, but before before we talk about that, we have we have to talk about the end, the end play. I mean, I mean, Dijanae Carrington was definitely fouled, like hands down. I, I mean, at the end of the play, it was clear that that Odata was moving into Carrington as she goes vertical. It changed her path, you know, not, not giving her a chance to land. And clearly, you can see her arms are no longer vertical, uh, and and she made contacts with with her elbows. It's unfortunate, but at the same time. As a referee, nobody wants that call to put somebody on the line, you know, f- for the game. I-, I think no no referee wants that on their shoulders. So no call in that situation is probably the most popular call. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, as as much as we can glorify UConn's players, that you know, we have to give a shout out to Gino Ariema. It's his thirteenth consecutive Final Four. I mean, that, that's mind blowing. We talked about Gonzaga getting there twice, you know, and, and Gino Ariam is doing it year after year. I think he's one of the most underrated and underappreciated coaches in, in all of basketball. I mean, he's a living legend. Um, you know, and as far as the NCAA tournament goes, I don't know if you guys saw it, but the, uh, the disparity in between weight rooms was just, it was mind blowing. I don't know if you guys oh, yeah. saw the videos, but oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was literally, you know, an entire ballroom for the men's filled with, you know, squat racks, you know, uh, free weights, uh, extra, extra plates. Uh, and, and it was, and it was massive. And then you go to the women's side and you see literally one, one dumbbell pyramid, just one. And, 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 and yeah, like I'm, I'm happy that there has been social media reactions to this because it's, it's, it's the only way that there's going to be change. I mean, I'm all for, you know, having equality in that space. Like, why couldn't, you know, I understand from a space capacity situation, but at least divvy it up. You know, they were talking about it was due to lack of space and they were expanding as the tournament went on. Well, I think that, you know, it's fair to say that you could have divvied up the space before the tournament started and equally expanded out in both directions. So I'd like to see them get on the same page. I think that they're starting to, and, and like you said, the next, you know, 
10, 15 years of women's basketball, I think is going to be elite, especially when they get the same and, and, and fair treatment as the men do. You know what, DG, I want to back to Paige for a second. Um, and then I want to touch, I want to touch on what, what AR had mentioned about the, just the weight rooms and facilities there. I think what impresses me most about Paige uh, is her basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, when she's the ability to use, and I think there's also a higher level of IQ and again, being fundamentally sound because uh, the women aren't necessarily the, the athletes just based on, on you know, uh, makeup, the uh, genetic makeup that the men may be. And, you know, the use of backdoor cuts, the use of, you know, the, the pick and roll and just surveying the court and pace and just reading defenses. I think that, you know, she shows such a high level of that that makes her, you know, that much head, that much more ahead than her peers, um, is why she's and why she's able to dominate um, the game as much as she does. So that, I think that was one of the most impressive things about her that I've noticed there. And then you know to that to the you know the athletic piece, it was you're right, Ar. It was disappointing to see. I think the response by the NCAA was even more disappointing in saying it was a matter mm. of not a matter mm. of, of finances, but a matter of a, a lack of space. Right. And there was some there was some videos that circulated as well that showed that there was there was ample space. And and guess what? In a matter mm-hmm. of you know two days, oh, they find a way to make it happen. Right. Yeah. There was miraculously space to right. to you know put in place a weight room like that, a functional yeah. uh, weight facility for the women to to be able to work out over the tournament as well. So it was you know especially in light of everything that's going on right now, you would think, hey. We are a bit more sensitive. We're a bit more pri- privy to mm-hmm. quality right now. Like it's mm-hmm. if that was oh, yeah. there. I don't know what. Like whoever whoever gave that the green light, they gotta go. Oh, immediately fired. And chef, like I think I think you know to piggyback on what you were saying, it's not about oh, it's a, you know a stereotypical type of situation. You know where it's an athleticism or genetics thing. It's it's facts, and and, and you can kind of compare that to the European game as well, like overseas. You know, it's it's obviously not as athletic as the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. But they're playing much more fundamental. That's why a lot of people say the basketball is beautiful over there. They're playing mm-hmm. the game the right way. You know, they're playing fundamentally sound. You know, they're using all of their 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 tools and their skill sets. You know, as opposed to the NBA or you know the NCA, where guys can do things because they can do it and they can get away with it. And and and, and you know, European game and, and the women's game, I see a lot of similarities. Just playing that structured basketball the right way. And, and you can see that it that there there's a method to that madness, and, and and UConn proves that year in and year out. They just play the right way. Well, I I, I love what you guys are saying on, on this topic, and I think what I've always heard is uh, the men's men's basketball is played vertical, and women's basketball mm. is played horizontal, and that mm. certainly does lead to the 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 statement that. IQ and intelligence and fundamental play can and generally is more uh, prevalent in the women's game. It's just mm-hmm. it's just more brainy. Let, let's yeah. let's call it the way it is. Um, <laughs> the, the other you know another another piece there is that when, where women's basketball is concerned, I think there's far more of an emphasis on development um, just before heading into the pros because you do have right. your four year eligibility, hundred percent eligibility before jumping into the, the um, pro pool or pro pro play for that matter. Uh, so I think one, those, those ladies get that four years of, you know, fundamental structure and just understanding how to be a part of a team. And then 
going on into the pro ranks and just understanding that game as well. So you know, there's, there's a lot of components there, whereas on the men's side, you know, teams are looking to draft the best athlete at them mm. at 16 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, and that's everybody's mentality going in is I'm going in, I'm trying to get drafted ASAP. Right. And then you see that with such, you know, when you're looking at the NBA now, there's such a disparity in talent. You have, you know, one or two, you know, three, four guys that are, that are stars and superstars, which teams, you know, took a gamble on. But then for the rest of the, for the rest of the league, it's, you know, there's pretty raw guys, guys that show potential, but we don't know if they ever will hit that potential. Hmm. Well, one thing I love is that Paige Beckers, Jalen Suggs, they're childhood friends. They're both out of Minnesota. And I think it would be, I think it would be super cool to see each of them in the respective leagues that they're going to be the number one pick. All right. We're going to head into some NBA chat now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, the Norman Powell trade happened. We were all following on our phones, waiting for the alerts. The Raptors made several moves uh, on trade deadline day. But the Norman Powell one, that'll be the one that, you know, it stings, it sticks. It will kind of always be remembered. I mean, he's could go down as the one player from the championship team that got traded. Um, so I, I think, you know, we're, we're not far away enough from it that we, we can't discuss it. And I, I'm really interested, guys, in your thoughts on the move, what it means for the Toronto Raptors, and also what it means for, for Norman Powell. You want to start, Andy? Look, I mean, I'm not at all surprised by the trade. Um, I have really mixed feelings about it. I, I felt that, you know, Norm helped build championship culture. Not felt he did. He, he built championship culture here in Toronto. He consistently improved year over year, improved that he was worth his $40 million contract that he signed back in 2017. I mean, his stats only dipped in the last four years during this current season, which, you know, you have to throw factors in such as Corona, you know, not playing in the same country. Um, but when they started him in January, you know, he was averaging 23, 23 per game on 50% shooting and 45 from three. So, I mean, his stock is at an all-time high right now. Um, and, and he does have that championship player tag on him. But, you know, the Raps have $22 million in cap space this summer. You know, with, with uh, you know, with their roster rebuild, they save money on a 22-year-old Trent Jr. who's only making a million a year. And you get a, a savvy locker room veteran, you know, in, in Rodney Hood who's, who's making $10 million a year, which – most likely will be half of what Norm's going to asking Ray is going to be for this next contract. So, so it's basically a two for one, you know, it, it's a smart move to just try to see, you know, what they can do for next year. Um, but it, it's really tough and sad to see, you know, especially him lining up, you know, with the Raptors before the game, it's like, it, it's a little heartbreaking because you know where his mind is at, you know, that he was fully committed to this team and then he gave everything that he had to win. So I think, I think Toronto is indebted to Norm, you know, for his hard work and, and his dedication. He's a high character guy. And I think that, 
you know, he's somebody that we can say we feel lucky to have had for six years. Um, and, and we wish him the best of luck out there in, in Portland. You're right. And just seeing him and hearing his interviews and saying, you know, he didn't necessarily, this is even when he got to Portland saying he didn't necessarily mm-hmm. want to leave Toronto. You, you don't like this was home for him. This is what mm-hmm. we're. So I think on both sides, it was tough because uh, as Raptors fans and as a Raptors organization, you pretty much grew with this kid and this kid grew with you. Yeah. He essentially had his, his down years here. He had his high years. Um, you've seen that he was a guy that took advantage of an opportunity. Like he got his first crack at really having some time and early on in his career when a couple of guys went down for, for in, uh, injured and he really took advantage of that, that opportunity and started to, you know, you start to see his ceiling, start to see how he could impact winning and not just, not just impact a team and be a part of a team, but impact winning. So I think when you're looking at that, you say, Hey, this is a guy that's a competitor. This is a guy that has grown. He's evolved over his career. Wasn't much of a shooter coming in, came in, and now, you know, essentially shooting 40% from the three and having a career year. And again, you know, you can't say enough about a guy that is a winner. He's played, you know, for the Raptors organization, multiple positions, came off the bench, been your 12th man, been a starter. And he's never complained. You've never heard him in the media with, with in any regard other than, you know, sharing sentiments and, and just wanting to be, you know, appreciative of being a part of this team and how they've mm-hmm. helped him grow, how they've helped him develop. Um, but from an organizational standpoint, you have you look at it and you say, okay, this is a guy that's 28. Uh, he's mm-hmm. probably had his he's probably hit his ceiling. Uh, the reality is we know what Norm does, right? He's he's mm-hmm. he's great going downhill, but he's getting to that right hand, shooting the ball well right now, but he may be capped out. Now when you're looking at the the trajectory of him and this team does it make sense long term to, to throw money at him? Probably not. You know what you're gonna get. In fact, he's probably better off helping a team right now that is, you know, like a situation where he's contending um and in playoff position to make some moves. For the Raptors, it was it was a good move. You get a guy, like you said, AR and Gary, Gary Trent Jr. is twenty two years mm-hmm. old. Um, and when you look at his, you know, when you look at him, he's three years into the league right now. He's already if you're looking at it from a number standpoint, he's already ahead of where Norm was. He's already ahead mm-hmm. of where Kyle uh, Van Fleet was at you know similar points in their career three years in. So does he have a higher ceiling? Yes. Is he showing it right now? Not necessarily. But you couple that with the Raptors' history in developing talent, there's something to be excited about there. In the mm-hmm. interim, it, it, it's going to be tough. Um, as you see, we're going through woes right now. And then Rodney Hood, like you said, the experience that you – you gain with him. You have a guy that's been to a conference finals with, with Portland. Um, you have a. He's also been to NBA finals with, with Cleveland. So he has that winning pedigree in him. So mm-hmm. a couple of that, um, with the Raptors and, and what they've done, I think it's a it's a good marriage. Well, well, guys. One uh, one thing to me about Norman Powell, um, as as we said, he was part of the 2019 championship team. I will always remember him also for being a part of the 2016 team that got to the Eastern Conference Finals, lost to LeBron in in six in, in that situation. But, you know, they won their first seven-game series over Indiana. They beat Miami in seven on the way to that um, matchup with LeBron and the Cavs, who would go on to win the championship that year, by the Lebronto. way. LeBronto. <laughs> I think Lebronto was... So Bronto was an absolute different animal. Yeah. 16, 16 LeBron had to fight to beat the Raptors. <laughs> but Le- Norm's, Norm 
along with Kyle Lowry and I guess Fred Van Vliet. To me, those are really extra special players for the Toronto Raptors because they were parts of both of those teams years apart. And it's easy to forget the 16 campaign now because of the success of 19. But to me, 16 laid so much of the foundation for what would happen in the championship year. And Norm Powell, while he had some off moments uh, that year, he also had some of the most memorable plays. And, you know, you, you see it on social media. It's all over the place. The, I think it was in the Indiana series. It might have been game seven. He gets a steal, goes coast to coast, mm-hmm. that's the dunk, and sets up the Raptors to win that game in that series. He is, a, he you know, an all-time, an all-time Toronto Raptor. It was sad to see him go. I want to flip it now, though, into his role on Portland Trailblazers. Um, because I'm I'm now seeing a team, you know, we've talked about Dame to death over over the weeks and months, guys. But Dame has been to a Western Conference championship series before. I think the West is completely topsy-turvy now. I think there's six teams that could get to the NBA Finals. And if you look at, at the Blazers now, you have a healthy Lillard, a healthy McCollum, a healthy Nurkic. If Carmelo Anthony coming off the bench... And now you add a guy also young but experienced in Norman Powell. How do you think this impacts the Blazers' chances of possibly being a champion this year? I think it helps just from a culture standpoint that now you actually have a winner. You have a winner there. You have a guy that has a chip. You have a guy that's done it and understands sacrifice. Uh, And he's also somebody that is an instant impact guy. He's not... Mm. uh, uh, not uh, what's Gary Trent Jr. Who's still who's gonna go through growing pains, go through the ups and downs. There's not room for that when you're in a playoff series, when you're in a championship run. Um, so he's a guy that understands it now and is gonna come in. And you've seen that he's meshed pretty well. It was, I believe it was 22 points he had against the was it, was it the Raptors that he had it against? Yeah, it's the highest debut in uh, in team history. So it's, I mean, yeah. that, that speaks volumes about Norm's capability. And then you know, followed it up with 13. Um, on the Raptors. So he's fit right in and you think it's tough. It would be tough to do that because he's playing with Dame who's, you know, pretty do- ball dominant and can, you know, gets he's there to get buckets and then CJ who's also ball dominant. Um, but to come in, fit right in and I think actually you're going to get a better norm. He's going to get back to what he's known to do and that's, you know, a great slasher, uh, cutter, um, you know, his spot up shooting and then just defensively he's gonna be a dog. Whereas mm-hmm. in Toronto's situation, what he was coming from right now, he had to do a bit more. Mm. Um and the expectation was for him to um elevate this team. But that may not necessarily be him. I think he's better in the role he was when the Raptors won a championship run and that could be uh where he's back to now. So for them, I think it helps right now. Um and it's gonna be interesting, like you said, DG, the West is essentially wide open right now until LA gets healthy again. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, that's going to be interesting. I think. Yeah. If they get healthy. Great point, yeah. DG. I mean, look, uh, you know, Norm's a West Coast guy. I, I think he's, I think he had a lot of expectations here in Toronto. You know, the fans were kind of, you know, ragging on him for his inconsistency at times, uh, even though they, they knew what he could bring to the table. Uh, you know, sometimes a fresh start, you know, is, is what you need. And I think that, you know, he, he, he meshes in really well with this Blazers squad. Um, he's more than capable, but I think the Blazers, Blazers make a, a big push and they jump both Denver and LA. 
um, you know, while LeBron and AD recover. Uh, you know, CJ's back. He's averaging 26 a game. You know, he didn't miss a step. And so is Nurkic, you know, plus the addition of Norm. I think they can just sneak into that fourth spot. Um, you know, Denver got a lot bigger with the the acquisition of uh, uh, Aaron Gordon, but, uh, you know, I don't think they got better. I think they lack perimeter options, you know, outside of Jamal Murray. You know, I think that they'll see what they can do in the buyout market. But, um, you know, the Lakers are in trouble right now. Davis hasn't played since February 14th and Los Angeles is 9 and 11 since. You know, and, and Frank Vogel came out and said that, you know, he's a ways away. You know, that was just back on Friday. So, uh, you know, four to six weeks, you know, per shams for, for LeBron. So they could be jockeying with a hot Dallas squad for like fifth or sixth when they get, when they get back and healthy. Um, you know, Chris Dabbs and, and Luca, they're, they're combining, you know, for, for some of the best basketball right now in the West and they're 12 and three when they play together. So I think that a lot of teams in this Western conference are seeing this as a big opportunity to make a push. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the Blazers can get to that, you know, third or fourth spot. And, and I see Damian Lillard fulfilling that MVP prophecy that I've had uh, uh, for, for a couple of weeks now. You have. I noticed that. Right. I noticed that when you yeah. guys talk about the I'm West. I'm pushing that agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. about the West. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to mention the Phoenix Suns, my Phoenix Suns that I predicted. What? what? Nobody wants to mention them. Nobody. That is true. They're, they're, they're talking about Lakers. We've been talking. Oh, we talked about the Suns all the time. Just making sure. I'm just want to. I just want to get it back yeah. in there. I I think we've had great conversations about the West because it's it just it should be all about the Lakers and the Clippers. But yeah. man, these other teams look look. They look like they have what it takes to be champions as well. Let's uh let's get into some uh this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Hashtag uh, TDITRH. You know, we're coming up on April Fool's Day, and it made me remember April 1st, 2001, 20 years ago. Tracy McGrady makes his first trip to Toronto after spurning the Raptors in free agency. He scores 24 points on 8 of 21 shooting while the Air Canada center crowd boos lustily and calls him a baby, among other many other names. Vince Carter responds with 28 points and 11 assists, but the Orlando Magic win 104-101. Both teams walk away from this game with a 40-33 and record and eventually make the playoffs. The Magic lose in the first round to Milwaukee. Toronto goes to the Eastern Conference semifinals where they go seven games in a historic series against the Philadelphia 76ers. McGrady will get named the NBA's most improved player and leads the league in scoring in 03 and 04, but he retires without a chip. I love that the NBA made the world wait for this game until April, considering the season started at the end of October. Uh, but that's that's the way that the cookie crumbled for McGrady and the Raptors and the Magic that year. This has been this date in Toronto Raptors history. I know I was there. Check it out on Twitter at hashtag TDITRH and at Jim Rats Podcast. One Raptor who stayed and has stayed and has stayed is Kyle Lowry. Shep, I, I guess I, I, I think I know you're happy that he stayed, but explain why he stayed, why this was a good move for the Raptors and for Kyle Lowry to ultimately make the decision to stay at least throughout the rest of this season. You know what? I was actually a bit surprised when he wasn't moved because um, 
you heard about it so much. You heard about it so much that it just it had to have happened. But I think, you know, the reality is that there wasn't any there wasn't any buyers uh, and or and there wasn't any sellers rather that that made it worth the while for the Raptors and just to give up. Obviously, Kyle is hitting his uh, he's past his peak, um, but to give up, you know, Mister Toronto Raptor and everything that he's done for this culture for virtually nothing, it would be hard to do that. Uh, I also believe that. A part of this is is the the two par- the two parties involved have a mutual respect for one another. Kyle isn't going to just go uh, anywhere, and the rappers aren't just going to send him anywhere. And two, um, they have enough respect for each other. That I believe in the off season, if if Kyle doesn't return to the Raptors, there'll be a a sign and trade situation. And and Kyle, I believe, has has enough respect and gives enough to the credit to this organization that. He won't just leave without putting them in, in a, allowing them to be in a good position to interesting um, make some moves, and I think that's where you know that that conversation was because both both had an understanding. I'm sure they could have gave up Kyle. I'm sure they could have sent him anywhere, but then that would have you know fractured the the relationship there that that's been built over years, um, and and obviously winning has has helped it. Yeah, I mean, I I personally love that that Kalo stayed. I think that. Like you said, Chef, it, it, was a, it was a mutual understanding. You know, if there were pieces coming in that made sense and the Raptors could build on them long term, they'd make it happen. Um, you know, it, it's, it's fortunate for us that they didn't completely break up the band. You know, the maestro is still, you know, playing his <laughs> he's, he's leading the band on the ship as it's going down. So hopefully, he can, you know, he can try to plug some holes before they completely sink this year. Um, but it just so happened that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, you know, what Miami or, or Philly were, were willing to give up. To acquire young pieces like Tyrese Maxey and or you know Tyler Hero for the now 35 year old Kalo, but you know he's most likely going to be looking for 50 mil over two years. Something that I'm not sure many teams will be willing to give up for a player at his age. But you know all things considered, in year 17 he's averaging 18, seven, and six. That coupled, you know, with the way that he takes care of his body, it's not outlandish to think that he could be a huge piece for a contender. You know, for the next couple of years. So. You know, hopefully he can run it back with the Raps on a one-year deal. Uh, I don't think there's a better leader for the city of Toronto. And, and when he's surrounded by the right pieces, you know, he produces rings. So I, I think that, you know, he's still got some left in the tank. And, and I'm just happy that he's stuck around here. And, uh, you know, he, he's that uh, he's the golden boy of Toronto. Well, never break up the band. That's never. that's my that's feeling rule on that. Number one. Look, look I, I think if the right deal was there, I think he was gone, and I think it just came down to a, a battle of chicken uh, between Toronto and Miami over Tyler Hero. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not going by any uh, insider information on that. I'm just going by the report that I read. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they there may have been a deal with Miami, and it was probably Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic and maybe Kendrick Nunn. But I I think that Pat Riley wisely – uh, was not willing to move a player like Tyler Hero, who you know we have talked about often, especially last year during the Heat's run to the finals. So, I guess I mean, the if they're not willing to move, uh, you know, James Harden for him, you know, I think that's going to be t- a tough sell for right. Kalo. So that's right. That's a pretty. It speaks volumes about what they see in Tyler Hero. Well, a- absolutely, and he's a you know he's a playoff hero for them right now, and I think he's still only twenty one years old, maybe twenty two. So. Yeah. You know that the Heat look at Tyler Hero as a, a huge part of their future, so I think I think that's what held up that's what held up the deal. And look, it, you know, hopefully it works out well for for both teams. You know, one one team. No, go ahead. 
I, this is so left field. I'm all over the place. But I like when you do this. Left field with Chef. Here we go. New segment. <laughs> this is a segment for sure. Help me understand this. Why is New York the mecca of basketball? When you know you you mentioned and you you mentioned it earlier, DG. UCLA has eleven um, NCAA championships. Then you have the LA Lakers with uh, how many is it there? Uh, how many ever they have? The Lakers have like 17, 18? 17. Yeah, I believe it's seventeen yeah. championships. So you're saying it should be LA. Why isn't it LA when you really think? Yeah, I, I actually have the answer to this question. Okay. Um, first of all, and the all those, have two NBA championships. All those players who won it in LA, where were they from? Lou mm. Alcindor was from New York City, mm. right? And and I think when you're talking about the mecca of basketball, to me, it really isn't so much about the Knicks, right, Andy? It's more no, about it's about old, like Rucker high, Park. It's about the yeah, the culture the of basketball. Double headers. Yeah. The, yeah, high, the it, high school games, CPNY. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I've I've LA's lived there. I've culture, been through LA's it. Hoop culture is it's strong, but it's strictly it's strictly Lakers. It's it's like everybody and their mothers is just Lakers fans. But there's no. <laughs> it, it seems to me as though, I, you know what? I can't speak on it. I really can't. It feels to me as though everybody from New York feels like they have a rite of passage because they're from New York that they just automatically know basketball, and that's not the case. I think it's very case specific. I don't know that you would find a more intelligent basketball fan in LA than New York, but I just know that that's what, that's what it is growing up. That's how mm -hmm. they feel. And, and, you know, barbershops, you know, everywhere it's the topic of conversation nonstop. It's, it's what they talk about. It's what they breathe. It's what they live. It's why New York hasn't been able to reach the level that they, that they, you know, set out to is because of the expectations. I mean, they're a killer. You know, everybody, nobody wants to touch that job. You know, as far as you know, general manager ownership because they know what comes with it. So, expectations a killer, man. Yeah, I got a left field thought too. I, I said, I'm coming from right field. Okay, did you guys right, see this interaction with Did you guys see this interaction with KD and Michael Rappaport? Yes. No. It was and then, and then wildly then. surprising and vulgar. I love them both. Like, wait, love them both. Yeah, sure. Respectively. Do you think that was KD or somebody hacked his account? I you know what? I don't know. That. I don't know, but there's no way that with, with the attention that KD gets from social social media use, that I, I don't think he goes out and says this stuff. But to it me, it had to be hacked. To me, it's wild that it got leaked because it could only come from one source, and that's Rappaport, right? Because he's the one who's getting the DMs. Uh, you guys got to check it out. Can you, can, you, can you give us a little background wife, on what, what it is? Well, Rappaport called him out for his interview with Charles Barkley on TNT, saying that he looked oh. like he was going to cry, this and that. And KD just went absolutely in. And I, I was shocked at the, you know, the language that he was using. And it turns out Rappaport, you know, got lawyers involved saying, you know, oh, it was wow. defamation of character, yada, yada. Katie said, meet me here and there. I no. can't wait to see you. It was crazy. So I don't know if, if there's any truth to it, but that's my right field story for the day. It was you know, a little I graphic. I think, I think it had to be hacked because when you start seeing things like. It had to be hacked. If, if, we're, if we're reading the same thing, like. You come read the text. X, yeah. Y, and yeah, 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 yeah. It was vulgar, man. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Somebody got a hold of this. Account. But you know, but you know, KD is outspoken. And, yeah. And, and if that was a private message, you know, who knows? So uh, I don't know. He has to know better. He has, he's the funny thing with KD he, is he's, he's introverted, but when he has these, these, um, outlashes, they're vulgar, they're aggressive, they're like, Wow. Yeah, but you know he's you know he's gonna take a mile now because he has somebody on his team with him who 
is for, you know, yeah. changing the narrative yeah. and pushing that agenda. So now KD is like free reign. But yeah. Anyway, let's let's rein this back in. I think we've well, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we're, we're, we're near the end anyway. So I, I you know, may, maybe this is how we're going to wrap up all our shows going forward. The outfielders, yeah, yeah. Hey, about, not bad. I like that with Andy and Shep. Um, it, uh, my my last word on that is, uh, it saddens me to see um, that Kevin Durant has kind of become this kind of a villain um, yeah. in the NBA and and in the American culture because I truly believe. Um, if you just take his skill set, his IQ, his his ability, I think he's one of the great basketball players of Not all think. time. I think he's one of the best to ever do right. it. Right. He's Ooh. an absolute machine at the game of basketball. And I've read stories about his training as, as a youth. Um, I loved him when he played that year at Texas. Was it Texas? Texas, yeah. yeah. The, the, the year at Texas, he was incredible. Um, I loved him as a humble young player with the Seattle supersonics and his career has been amazing and somewhere along the line he really turned um on the media and the media turned on him and i i hate to see it because i just love this guy as a basketball player i I guess a lot of it had to do with him leaving okc to go join the enemy Mm -hmm. um you know i can understand why that would upset some people but given the opportunity any of us as a free agent is going to take the best offer for our career, regardless of what it is. And I thought him going to the Warriors when he did was a brilliant career move. You know, when he was in OKC, basketball people knew who he was, but the the general public didn't really know Kevin Durant. Now he's on Golden State. He's he's a superstar, and he certainly is now with with Brooklyn Nets. Unfortunately, he he doesn't play that much. Guys, let's uh, sorry. I was going to say, Katie, Katie is one of the best people. I've met yeah. in any basketball sphere, like human wise, one of the best people. So to see him embrace this role as the villain, I think they've kind of turned it on him and he's using it to his advantage. Um, and, and and like you said, there's not one thing he wants to do in this world that he can accomplish by himself. And, you know, if you got Tom Brady backing you, that notion is like you can't get anywhere without team. And and yeah, why wouldn't you source the best people to help you win championships? That's so right. like I'm for KD, end of the day. Good. Okay, guys, let's let's uh, let's wrap up this episode of Jim Rats and Joints. Don't forget to rate and review us on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on social media at Jim Rats Podcast. Thank you to our amazing producer Dan Wong. Follow him on social at Dan Wong Says. You can follow Javon Shepard at Javon Shepard. Andy Routens is on Instagram at Andy Routens. I'm Dan Gladman. You can find me on social at DG on the road. Thank you so much for listening this week. A super fun episode. And we will wish all of you a very happy Final Four weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 